Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the first uh, lesson tonight. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity we have to be here. Lord, what a glorious thing to have so many young people in a room together uh, to sing your praise and then open your word. And God, I pray that your spirit would work among us. Lord, I pray that you would have free reign, Lord, that we would be ready to hear from what you want us to say. Lord, I know that there's people here tonight in many different circumstances in their life. Um, Some are struggling. Uh, Some are doing well. Some, Lord, uh, know you, and they've known you for a while, and some are are new to the faith. Others might even not know Christ. And, and Lord, I pray that just as we we speak throughout this conference, and and specifically as we look to your word this evening, I pray that your spirit would be among us. Thank you. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, we will be in Philippians chapter 3 in just a few moments. I'll be referencing some other verses, and they'll be up on the wall. Uh, But I wanted to begin just... Just letting you know that uh, the leaders, the volunteers, the pastors that are helping to put this conference on, we're doing it because we love Jesus and because we love you guys, all right? And so we want you to know and to love Jesus, and that's our prayer, that's our goal. And so we put on this entire conference and and set up games and skits and, and all those things because we want to have this time with you where we get to open the Word of God, and and I'm asking you, please, listen, okay? It's not because I'm smart or because Andrew or Tyler are smart. It's because we're opening God's Word, and God's Word has something to say to you for your life. I guarantee it. If you allow Him to speak to you this week, He will through His Word. So, please, do your best to pay attention. We've given you these books Um, If you don't have one, they're still at the table at the back. You can grab one. There should be pens back there too. And so that's for you to take notes. There's a schedule in there, but you've got session one, two, three, four. If you hear something, if God's speaking to you, take a note. If you make a decision, I have my book from when I went to camp at 16 years old where I still have the decisions that I wrote, that I made after I heard the word of God. And that's helpful to me to look back to and know that like at one point, the spirit of God convicted me. So, if you feel the Spirit of God convicting you throughout this conference, please obey Him. It's not about us, but we have a Savior that loves you, and He died for you, and so we want you to listen, all right? A couple weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast, and the podcast was, was telling stories about history, some unknown stories about history, And it talked about the Minnesota starvation experiments. Has anybody ever heard of these Minnesota starvation experiments? They took place in 1944, toward the end of the Second World War. They were put on by a man named Ansel Keys at the University of Minnesota. And this was an experiment with the design of testing the psychological and the physiological effects of starvation on healthy people. You can imagine that during the war, there was a lot of people who went from eating well, going off to war, or being in a place that was ransacked by war, and not having access to any food. Maybe being taken into prison camps, and not eating well at all. And so there were many, many people during this time of the, of, of the world that were starving. And Ansel Keys had this goal of learning more about what impact starvation has on people, both their mental state and their physical state, so that he could help people recover, so that he could help them get better. So he enlisted 36 volunteers. For the first 12 weeks, these 36 men 
did everything they could to get to the ideal weight. So some of them lost weight, some of them gained weight, they, they, they exercised, they got as healthy as they possibly could for 12 weeks. Then for the next 24 weeks, they were put on an almost starvation diet. So they ate very, very, very few calories a day. And the goal was, in 24 weeks, to make them lose 25% of their body fat. Uh, not their body fat, of their body mass. So if you weighed 100 pounds going in, you were meant to weigh 75 after 24 weeks. Well, this, this had incredible psychological effects on the people. And one of them was, these men would go and they would find ways to watch people eat. So they would sit in restaurants and just watch people eat. They read cookbooks all the time. Um, there was a, a couple men in particular, one man named Sam, who he went to, to visit these ladies every day, and he would watch them eat their lunch, and then would, he would help them by doing some work for them in, in their yard. And one day they were chopping firewood, and he cut off, he chopped off three of his fingers. And so it was a bloody mess. And they took this man who looked like a skeleton into the hospital without his fingers. And, and Ansel Keys went in there to visit him. And he said, hey, listen, like, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Like, like what can we do? We're going to get you food. We're going to get you healthy. We're going to get these, you know, everything sorted out for you. And the man said, no, you can't do that. And Ansel was like, what do, you, what do you mean we can't do that? He's like, he's like, Mr. Keys, for the rest of my life, People are going to ask me what I did during the war. And this experiment is my only chance to have an honorable answer. I thought, man, listening to this guy, he chopped off his fingers. He needs to get healthy. He needs to get like himself recovered. But he's thinking, for the rest of this life, I want to have done something that matters. And you know what's amazing? Those experiments produced a ton of information that helped people recover from the war. It was actually perfect timing. As the war ended, the experiments ended, the data was collected, and they were able to help people who were in prison camps and people who were in countries that were starved to get back to health in a healthy way. And that research is still used by people today who are studying different types of eating disorders. So, I mean, you could never do an experiment like that today. But those men sacrificed, and their sacrifice in this life was valuable. I want to tell you what our goal is for you. Okay, our goal is to make disciples of Jesus Christ who will stand for Christ. That you will stand firm in your faith, no matter what happens, no matter what comes your way, no matter what this world becomes, no matter who's in power, no matter what your friends do, no matter what you're tempted with, that you will stand firm in Christ. And I think this is a biblical goal. I think the Bible speaks a lot about this. In fact, we have verses that say we're supposed to stand firm against the attacks of the devil. That we should stand our ground when the evil day comes. That we should stand firm in our faith. That's mentioned a number of times. That we're meant to be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Philippians 4.1 puts it this way. Paul says, stand firm in the Lord. But, before you can stand for Christ, 
And that's our goal. We want disciples who will stand for Christ in this world. But before you can stand for Christ, you must be sure you're standing in Christ. Guys, the sad truth is there are people in churches all over the world, and I think particularly in the West, in North America, in places where Christianity has been treated fairly well up to this point. There are many people sitting in churches who call themselves Christians, but they are not in Christ. And I would venture a guess that there are people here today, and some of you, you know it, and that's fine. Okay? You're just like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a believer, and that's okay. But some of you have called yourself a Christian since you were born, but you're not really in Christ. There's actually a terrifying story in Matthew chapter 7 of people who come to Jesus at judgment day and say, Jesus, we know you. Jesus, look what we've done for you. And he says to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. What a terrifying idea. What a terrifying thought that you could stand before Jesus someday and say, Jesus, I named your name. Yeah, I was a Christian. I told people I was a Christian. And I even served in my church a little bit. And have Jesus say to us, I never knew you. Get away from me, you worker of iniquity. That would be terrifying. And so, because we want you to be standing firm in Christ, we're going to begin the conference with a talk on what it means to be in Christ. Not just for Christ, but in Christ. I'm going to give you a few verses to start off, and then we'll look at Philippians chapter 3. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. Paul is writing to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified. So sanctified is set apart, made holy, in Christ Jesus and called to be saints. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, For as in Adam, so some are in Adam, all die. Okay, If you want to know who the bad guy is on that, on Survivor, it's definitely Adam. Because in Adam, all die. But in Christ, all shall be made alive. In other words, you have the opportunity to have new life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. In Christ, new creature. Galatians 3.26 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. I hope that's clear to you. That there is something very unique about being in Christ. Not just believing Jesus existed. But do you know that you know that you know tonight that you are in Christ? Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to be reading in verses 4. We'll conclude at verse 9. This is the story of the Apostle Paul. Paul is writing to the church of Philippi, a church that he loved dearly. That's very clear throughout the entire message. It's also a church who is suffering quite a bit. Okay, They're struggling in Philippi. So he's writing to encourage them that through their suffering, they can still have joy. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, he says, Though 
I also might have confidence in the flesh. So he's talking to them about being sure of your faith, being sure of your position in Christ. And he says, listen, if, if it was about your flesh, it was about me, about how good I was, I could have confidence. That's what Paul is saying. He says, if anyone else thinks that they may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. Okay, here's one of the things that people do all the time. They compare themselves with one another. Right? So if you want to know if you're a good person, what do you do? Well, look at your neighbor. You know, look at your friend. When I was in high school, I thought I was a pretty good person. Okay, I grew up in the, in the Catholic church and I always believed Jesus existed. I thought that believing Jesus existed and being a pretty good person, maybe doing the sacraments, all those things were enough to, to, to get me to heaven someday. Now that's all I needed. I looked at my friends and when they started doing weed, I would just go watch them, right? And then when they started, you know, doing a little bit more bad stuff, then I, I thought just, well, a little bit of weed's not going to hurt me. I'm still better than they are, okay? And as they went this way, I thought, you know, as long as I'm a little bit better, I'm okay. It's no big deal, okay? Because I'm still a good person, comparatively speaking. Do you know what Paul does here? He says, hey, compare yourself to me, okay? Did you see that? He said, if anyone thinks, if you think you should have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. Look at me. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So he says, listen, look at every area, and if you could be a good Jew, I'm it. I'm, I was circumcised when I was supposed to be. I'm from this, from, I'm an Israelite. I'm from the right tribe. The tribe of Benjamin was a good tribe to be from. I'm, I'm a Hebrew among all the Hebrews. If you look at the, the, the law, I mean, I'm a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were the ones who were known for keeping the law really well. Concerning zeal, when it comes to my passion, man, I was passionate. No, so much so that when I found out that some people were leaving Judaism to follow this Jesus character, I started killing them. Yeah, I went, I mean, I'm serious. I went to the church and I grabbed people and I arrested them. And I, I watched while some people killed others. And I was just really all about this. I was a leader in persecuting the church for God. And then he says something absolutely insane. He says, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. You look at the law, 613 commandments in the Old Testament. He said, you look at my life, you compare it to those 613 commandments, I'm blameless. <laughs> You've never met somebody that could say something so audacious. That's, that's crazy. Okay, we take 10 commandments, and how do we do? Do we, do we put God first all the time? Do we never worship any other idols? Do we ever take his name in vain, or, or do we do work? Do we, on Sunday, do we, like Saturday, not keep the, the Sabbath day holy? How do you do with your parents? Are you honoring them, respecting them all the time? Or, or have you ever stolen anything? Ever told the, lie, told the lie? Ever killed somebody? Ever coveted? Okay, have you ever just been jealous and envious? We look at the law. Man, we fall really, really short. There is not one commandment that I haven't broken in one way or another and I bet the same is for you. If you start thinking about what Jesus said and he said, if you, if you thought these things, if it's in your heart, then it's just the same like you did it. And so Paul says, look at my life. I'm blameless. 
Let's go on, verse 7. But what things were gained to me? So all those things that other people would look at me and be like, good job, Paul. You're so awesome. Paul, I wish I could be like you. I love you, Paul. Right? Everything that was gained to Paul, he says, those I counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them but dung, rubbish, poop. That's what, that's what it means. That I may win Christ. So he says all of that stuff that people would applaud me for and think well of me, it means absolutely nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ. That's where it's at. And then he says this verse. He gives us his greatest desire in his life in verse 9. He says, I want to be found in him. In him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So Paul makes it very clear that though everybody else could look at him and they compare him to the law, they would think he's blameless. He says, I have no righteousness that would come by the law because I know my heart. I know what I really am inside and I won't make the cut. Nobody will make the cut. But then he says, what I want is to have the righteousness that comes in Christ. And, and that's what we're so concerned about tonight. We're concerned that you know Jesus Christ, that you know that you're in him. And so if I can just give you a couple things to take away from this first lesson, and listen to me, if, if you don't know that you know that you're in Christ, that you're a born-again believer, that you're a, Christ, a true Christian, this is the only lesson that matters. Yeah, I'm not saying like the other guys. The others have a lot of good things to say. This is the one that matters because the only thing that matters is that you're in Christ. You can never do any of the other things that we're talking about before you're in Christ. You can't do it alone. Okay? And so, we must be in Christ before we will ever stand for Christ. Listen, don't get to the end of your life and have wasted it. Remember, we talked about those guys and how they willingly participate in this experiment because they wanted to do something honorable during the war. I think sometimes I've got one life to live, right? I'm going to live, I'm going to die, and I'm going to go meet Jesus and be with him forever. One time I get to go around this planet, okay? So if that's the case, do I not want to spend eternity in heaven knowing that I at least attempted to do something worthwhile, something honorable, something that was eternal in value? You know that none of the things that you pursue, except what lasts forever, will mean anything in 100 years. Right? You think of all the things that we love and care about, the, sh the shoes, the clothes, the, the television shows, the music, the like friendships, the social media stuff, all of that stuff, none of it matters except for what you do for Jesus Christ with your life. So don't waste it. But you will waste it if you don't know Christ. Okay, you must be in Christ. The second thing that we must take away from tonight is that if you are not born in Christ, 
sorry, you were not born in Christ. You were born in sin and without Christ. If you don't have Christ, you remain in your sin. Okay? So the natural state of humanity, Paul knew this. He spent his life prior to this point trying to keep the law, but he knew that he was a sinner. And he knew that based on what the law said, he would be condemned. If you're not in Christ, you will be condemned. We read a verse earlier that said that. So if you, if you want to think about your life and when you stand before God, what do you say? Can you honestly say, Lord, I kept all the commandments? List the 10. Absolutely not. I don't think any of you think that you will. But God sent his son to provide a way for us to be cleansed, to be given righteousness. And so what happens at the cross is that Jesus takes our sin upon himself and then he gives to us his perfect righteousness. So when, when I stand before God, God doesn't look at Dan Christians and he doesn't say, hey, Dan, you messed up here and here and here. And that's just like the first two hours, right? What he does is he looks at Dan Christians and says, I see my son. I see his righteousness. I see the white robe that he's given you. I've, I don't look at your sin. It's been washed away as far as the east is from the west. So far have I separated your sins from you. So this is a glorious truth of the gospel. Okay? You were not born in Christ, and you are in your sin until you are in Christ. The third thing is, you are not in Christ as a result of your good deeds, religious affiliations, church you attend, whether you're baptized or not, any of that kind of stuff. Your heredity, in other words, it's not your parents, your family. It's because they were Christians doesn't mean you are. It's because you were baptized in a baby doesn't mean you are a Christian. Your sincerity doesn't mean anything. You're not sincerely in Christ. You can sincerely believe lots of lies. It's not any combination of these things and faith. And so if you are not in Christ, if you are banking on anything good you've done or anything that you believe outside of Christ and Christ alone. And so the last thing you must remember tonight is you must have the righteousness of Christ that comes by faith alone. If you want to know how someday to meet God and be with him forever, the only way that will happen is if you have Christ and Christ alone. And the way that happens, guys, it's not like, it's not super complicated. Okay, so the question for you tonight is, have you put your faith and trust in Christ? Have you repented of your sins and turned to Christ? And if not, the invitation is always open. Okay, Jesus came and he died and he rose again so that we could give this invitation to you today. That if you will repent of your sins, turn from your sins, turn from trusting yourself and your good works and turn to Jesus... He will save you. And you can do that like before you pill your head tonight. You, do that, you can do that before the service is over. When I was 16 years old, I realized that my good works, my Catholicism, it wasn't going to get me there. Just because I believed that Jesus existed, it wasn't enough. I had to go from knowing some things about Jesus to actually knowing him. And that's a big step. That's a step of faith. That is starting a personal relationship with Jesus that will last for the rest of your life. It's the most important decision you can ever make. And so we want to invite you to make, if you don't know Jesus today, we want to invite you to make that decision, okay?
And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a word of prayer. Um, and then we're gonna do, we're gonna have a couple more skits, some more songs, and, and another message. But I wanna remind you, if you don't know Christ, that's what you need to hear. Jesus died for you, and if you repent and trust him today, he will save you. And if you are in Christ, then you can learn how to stand for Christ. All right, so let's pray. Father, thank you for this glorious truth that we have a Savior who died for us, Lord, that we can be born again. We can have eternal life given to us today by putting our faith and trust in Christ. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone here tonight that's not in Christ. First, Lord, I pray that they know that, that they would that we would know our state, um, Lord, that we'd be aware of our lostness. And Lord, I pray that you would um, help them to see that the amazing gift of Jesus, the sacrifice that he made on our behalf so that we could be with you forever. And Lord, I pray that you'd give people courage and boldness to step out in faith and make that decision um, even today. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray in Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about what you've just heard, or are interested in the ministry of Maple City, please visit our website at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Jesus name.